very briefly. Brilliant. Wow. Great. <laughs> Great. Uh, so I, I think we might have alluded to this, but I'm going to put you on the spot slightly, and you're more than happy to tell me to go and go and uh, you know go away. But uh, I, I just found this interesting in my little bit of homework. Uh, you did an interview with a website called Film on Paper. Oh yeah, yeah. Dot com, uh, and they've actually redacted out a name that you keep citing as being. I think you said it's the single person who killed the the project, the Doctor Moreau project. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, that's made quite clear in the documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was wondering if you'd be happy to say that name, but I'd be completely understand if you didn't. It's just it struck me as quite. Yeah, at the time, I think it would have been. Um, um, improper to, uh, to to do that, and also Richard was under contract at the time. You know his um, his severance fee uh, also meant that um, he had to sign a contract saying he would not talk about those aspects of the right. film, and whether that covered a certain period of time or not, I don't know. But obviously, can talk about it. And I think it's Richard's not um, vindictive person, and even though he may have hated his guts, Richard would never actually say this at all, though. No. Um, you know, he, he. I think he has other things, you know, far more important in his, in his head going on than to, you know, bother, you know, holding grudges or anything. Though, yeah. and you know, of course, we know. He, well, Richard probably knew himself that in time, you know, all these things come back to bite you on the ass anyway. Though, yeah, Filmer's career didn't really take off after that, and um, mm. he may have you know, done a few interesting things, but um, you know, he's not a well man, and um, no. you know. Kind of, uh, it's you know, uh, things didn't quite work out the way they should have done, probably for him. No, 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 you're right. And uh, there's maybe a bit of uh, I don't know if it's what goes around comes around or calm or whatever you might believe in there. Yeah, uh, I'm going to interject slightly because I've just thought of something and I'm being a bit selfish because obviously I've got access to you know, it's probably someone your show, <laughs> much more, yeah. Uh, you know, and I've got this access to you know, to, to somebody who could probably be considered a certainly a personal friend of. Of Richard, uh, which I think is a great position to be in. I, I, I apologies if this does come out in the documentary, uh, but I just thought I'd retouch on it. Uh, what did you think about the stories of him sneaking back on set as an extra? And I think even does appear in the final cut, doesn't he? In in kind of costume, is that typical Richard, or just something he felt he had to do? Well, you have to understand that the project was a very big uh, thing for him. Um, it was his first real serious attempt at a Hollywood, major Hollywood film. And, um, you know, you've got Marlon Brando, one of the most famous film actors ever. Uh, you've got Val Kilmer, um, all these incredible other people. You've got Sam Winston Studios. I mean, yeah, it's a big, big deal. And uh, for him, it was it was more than just, you know, it wasn't just a film for him. Another oh. project. It was actually something which his life had been building up to. With, he put so many aspects of himself and things that you know he'd gone through in his life into this film in, in, in kind of subtle ways um that uh to have it taken away was you know quite quite um it's like having a child taken away you know i, I don't want to trivialize that but uh it's it's you know for me that's kind of what it must have been like for richard that you know this major big project has suddenly been snapped out of his fingers and he was barred from the set and everything else as you know but um, you know, he wasn't about to leave Australia. I think he was bought a ticket to go, but he didn't go. Mm. And as he, well, you obviously know that uh, he, he hung around in, in living in the wilds uh, nearby. And um, yes, he, he had, you know, luckily a few friends on set. And um, so he had the mask and um, a bit of access as well, though. 
of course, you know, he, he had him in uh, found that then, you know, all hell would have broken loose. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he's a smart man and uh, he knew exactly how things are and uh, he was able to sneak in there. And, you know, I think he wanted just really to see what this other person was going to do with his projects and, and mm. where it would go and how people would cope. He wanted to see how this director would deal with Marlon Brando and such like. And, um, and uh, you know, I think he, he, he's quite fascinated to see what, what, what the film would become. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. I, think, I mean, if, if something is so personal to you, you know, you're not a jobbing director, you, you literally bought this project from, you know, a thought in your brain right through to that mm. size of project. You're not just going to walk away. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I watched that in awe of him, to be honest, because... You know, in that situation, I don't think any of us know what we would do until we're in that situation. But I don't know if I would have been capable of doing that. I don't know. I might have been bullied off, but he he was able to, you know, fight his corner, albeit uh, from a sort of uh, what we're looking for, a kind of a hidden perspective. But yeah, so no, good, good. Uh, moving on, uh, as I like to do, because uh, I want to try. And, I mean, we're not going to get across everything, but we you know I'm going to try and just sort of, you know, get yeah, I'm, as well. I've got nowhere to go. So. <laughs> well, this is this is what's great for us. Oh, I do know uh, I've, got, I've, I've, I've got bottles of wine downstairs. This is, this is one of the few benefits of lockdown and the pubs shutting at ten o'clock. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, where am I? Right, uh, you spoke to Starburst magazine in 2018. I suspect you spoke to them on many occasions. You spoke to them in 2018, uh, and you alluded to the fact that you didn't have a favourite piece. Uh, and, and I think you mentioned this at the start of the interview, you actually tend to dislike a piece on completion. Uh, mm. Is this still the case? Or perhaps since 2018, has there been a piece you've completed now that's perhaps, perhaps changed that aspect? Uh, it's still the case. So it's just literally, you know, literally because, um, you know, it's when, when you do a piece of work, you know, you, you, all you see are its flaws. You, you try your hardest to you know, um, put down on paper what's in your head. And, um, you know, I find it easier to do that now than I used to, but it's still never quite 100%. And, um, you know, you have to acknowledge to yourself that actually that's going to be the case, that um, you can never quite achieve what it is you want, that you accept its weaknesses, if you like, and learn from them. So each job, you know, you hope you've, you've, you you gain a little bit more uh, knowledge and um make the next job a bit better but that's not always possible because um you know you have deadlines you have um uh uh clients that you know will want to uh want you to fulfill their needs um which may oppose what you feel is right for the project and um so, so you're dealing with um you know sort of uh um barriers shall we say though uh all the time but um you know, if you can turn in a, a job which actually you can look back on and think actually it wasn't that bad after all, then uh, that that's you know that that for me is it's it's good enough. And so you know, basically, as far as a favourite piece is concerned, I, I always say it's a, a kind of a cliche and a get out in a way. It's it's you know yet to be done. Um, I keep thinking that you know, a couple of years ahead will be a piece I'll feel really proud of. Yeah. Uh, and it's very weird, you know, that. Um, you know, the two touchstone pieces are pieces of work I did at the very beginning of my career. And you always think, yeah, fuck's sake, I've done this, like, um, you know, all this work, all this work since then. Like, has nobody seen that? Yeah, why always these two? But then I understand it's because of the 
time they were created in um, the, the cultural um, things that were going on at the time. Uh, those two films, you know, Evil Dead and Northern Elm Street, have their place in horror history. And, um, uh, and you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have been part of that. But uh, having said that, they're not necessarily great pieces of work, I don't think. I mean, the Evil Dead poster is a very crude, very simple piece of work. And um, if I were doing it now, it wouldn't look anything like that at all. I mean, nobody knew who Bruce Campbell was, for instance. So, you know, it's, uh, it wasn't necessary to show his face even, though. So he's not even really in it. It's, it's mm. like an approximation of his face. You only see the eyes, though, uh, and, you know, it's off his head. Um, so it's not it's not sort of star-led at all. There are no stars in there. Um, you know, for me, the big thing was the monster on the, on the, on the right-hand side, James yeah. Shelley. Um, that, that was the most important thing for me. Um, nothing else really mattered at all. I could have just quite happily painted her, and that, that would have been a job done. But I knew I had to do a bit more than that, though. Well, uh, well to be fair, I mean, I love... The movie, as as you know, many do, and 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 it still you know has a massive fan base, and and that's that's going to be hitting forty years very soon, and I don't think it will have lessened any. Uh, but I think at the time, uh, a lot of the characters in the movie are fodder for the demon, for the monster. He, you know, that that ent- that entity is is the movie, you know, and uh, everyone else just kind of has to succumb to its. Uh, punishment so it's probably not a bad way of angling the actual poster if i'm at liberty to say which i you know how do you think that <laughs> uh so no I, I think that's perfectly fine uh we at outlaws uh are big fans of Shaun of the dead and uh we recently hit some of the locations uh so that was bumming around my research uh because i had left over some some ideas from when what we were going to do when we went to those places uh but i've I've managed to find out that you did some work that was went unused or you did some kind of concept art that maybe didn't make it and i just wondered what that was and and how that all came about yeah um at the point where the film was still in production um uh we uh, well I, i had some desk space at a studio um in theory, I still do, but of course we're in you know in lockdown now, still. Uh, so I was doing sort of sketch work for them when needed, and that was one of the projects which came up. And because uh, it's you know obviously it has its horror angle as well, um, I was asked to perhaps even come up with some concepts rather than just merely sketching what the studio concepts were. Uh, so uh, yeah, I came up with a few concepts and. Um, but mostly was sketching out the studio's kind of ideas, which would then go on to be the basis for a photographic shoot. Um, so, for instance, the you know I think they use um, the the underground uh, tube, you know, the doors. I think mm. I think Sean's standing there with the zombies in, in packed into the tube. Uh, so I, I sketched that out prior to that being photographed as a guide for the photographer. Oh, that's cool. But then. Um, but yeah, other ideas I had, you know, never went never further than the sketch side. Uh, uh, a bit later in time, actually, when World's End came out a few years back, uh, I think the studio were looking to reissue uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and um, then World's End as a special Blu-ray set in, in new packaging. 
and so I I was asked if I would come up with some ideas for you know, some illustrations uh, for those first two films and then perhaps the third film as well. So I did get as far as doing um, uh, some colour sketches for, for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, which I'd love to have gone to full artwork with. Mm, but never. Definitely, yeah. Um, but I still have the sketches somewhere anyway. They... But yeah, it, it was kind of, it was close, but I never quite got there. <laughs> but no cigar yeah uh, that's interesting it was interesting it's, yeah it's just we uh we had a bit of fun with that film a couple of weeks ago and oh, a couple of months ago now probably so that that kind of touched up in my in my uh research uh i'm struggling because there's so much to to kind of get into uh and and we've 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 uh we've we've been so lucky to get this much of your time as it is uh but i'm, I'm gonna You've got that lovely T-shirt. Do you want me to touch on? I know. Well, well, yeah, I'm going to touch on this. I don't know if people will see this. I, I, I wasn't going to, but but I will. I will. Uh, will kind of touch on this. Uh, myself involved uh, as well with some others uh, uh, in the world of Romero, as we are, George Romero, and, and and the weekend of the Dead convention, which you've done some great great pieces of artwork for. Uh, What's, what's generally your inspiration for those? Uh, do you, you know, do you find yourself getting quite immersed into the Romero universe, or is it zombies generally, or where, where did you go for those pieces? Uh, well, um, I was approached by Marcus uh, by phone, um, who I had met at the weekend of uh, horrors in Germany at the um, festival there. And he, at the time, was there with David Crawford talking about doing Weekend of the Dead. Uh, and David Crawford was saying that he would be interested. And um, um, so they were formulating the origins of Weekend of the Dead in Germany at that time I met them. Uh, so I met Tracy and uh, Marcus. And um, so, yeah, I guess it was probably a year later. They called and said, would you be interested in doing a poster for our, our event? You might remember us we met in Germany. And I did remember them. I've got a photograph, actually, of the three of us very pissed. Uh, so, uh, yes, I do remember them. Sounds about right. We had a meeting in uh, in town. Uh, they came um, up from, um, you know, the Reading area. And uh, uh, our mutual friend, David Reed joined us from Peterborough. And we went to um, have uh, some lovely dinner. Uh, the play, uh, I think it's the Institute Directors where uh, Tracy mm -hmm. had some... Um, access anyway they applied me loads of drinks and i said yes so, uh, <laughs> and actually i think even yes yeah, so I, I think i agreed that they could keep the artwork as well so damn damn that one damn. Yes. But anyway but yeah, I, I was very happy with the artwork and um i think what what sold it to me was the fact that uh john amplis was going to be a guest and because martin's oh, one of my oh. favorite films and i thought well that'd be a chance to make sure he's really big on the poster and it's interesting because of course he um Martin isn't really um, part of that whole zombie thing. I, obviously, he appears in the films in fairly well lesser roles, should we say. In Martin, of course, he's the main character. Uh, but for me, you know, Martin is such a, a strong uh, uh, um, person. And actually, he brings in vampirism uh, 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 into the whole zombie thing That's as well. Um, going completely against the grain. And I knew what I was doing, but I couldn't help myself there. And I thought, well, Hell, let's get a vampire in this zombie weekend. <laughs> Excellent. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's really good. Well, we, uh, 
you know, we obviously love all those guys. Uh, and uh, for anybody who hasn't perhaps caught up on it, uh, we have got a two-parter with uh, John Amplis, and we talk about Martin in some great detail. So uh, I'll send you over the links to those. Uh, if, you, if you're really bored, you can listen to those. But John's great. I mean, it's it's John's show. We, we, we literally sort of sit there and act as his medium to speak to because once he gets going I hope he doesn't mind me saying once he gets going he really he really goes and then we got some great insights in into all his Romero career but particularly Martin uh you know that's great uh no that's really good uh I'm gonna try and get back on to track because uh I've got a all teary motive that I'll, I'll I'll come to at the end uh and then hopefully we'll we'll be able to end on some good terms but uh, I'm just I'm just thinking uh that uh, I, I pick up the phone. Uh, somehow I've managed to get your number. I don't know how. Maybe I've stalked you somehow, and I've, I've got your number. I give you a call. I explain that I'm looking uh, to commission a piece. Uh, what do you need from me? What, what do you expect from me in terms of able being able to get you started, uh, being able to then generally get to a place where you can start to work on the on the commission? How does that process work? Uh, well, generally speaking, I don't really I mean I do commissions of course they private commissions but um generally speaking they have to be for um films that you know other people um, um love as well and know that uh you know rather than I, I don't do commissions for war art uh, as such which I think is what kind of some people kind of hope for they can commission me to do something a painting they put on the wall and that's it but um it's I'm a professional illustrator you know my work is commercial work and uh you know I don't, I, that, that's for now where i want to keep it so basically i have um i've done work for private commissioning groups uh, mostly based in the us uh, where you know as you know a bunch of people get together they have a, a favorite film they'll find an artist they want to work with and the artist will then provide them with a poster which they all pay a little bit of money into um, it's not a commercial thing at all. There's no profit for anybody at all. I get a fee for my time. Uh, they get the limited edition poster uh, numbered and um, they cover the printing and that whole process as well. So um, it's it's kind of one of those things. Basically, it's, it's where fans get to have the poster they want for the film they love. Okay. If I do my job well. Um, so there's that. And then there's also... Uh, a couple of you know people I've worked with who are just people who are big film fans and um, have the means to be able to commission me uh, for my time um, to do posters, alternative posters for their favourite films. Actually, bringing elements that you know didn't exist in the original posters, which they can then say, you know, can you do a poster? I want this element in there and this element. Give me a sort of shopping list, I guess, of things they want in there. And um, then it's up to me to kind of try to work those things together or explain that actually this won't work uh, because of this. And then whereas maybe you thought about bringing in this, then that would work as well. So we, we come you know, uh, to a mutual arrangement whereby we have a poster we can both be happy with. They pay for the, uh, the my time, the painting. They get their um, full size poster um, printed up digitally. And and, uh, I, and the arrangement is that I can then sell prints of that work at conventions as well. Ah, oh, okay. So samples. So hence, that's why you would have seen things like Dawn of the Dead, uh, Jaws, yeah. recent one, and um, yeah, uh, I think Poltergeist, Halloween. You know, a lot of 
uh, American Wheel to London, same client as Huawei. Uh, so, um, uh, so they have uh, some some longevity for me as well. Though they they become you know part of the portfolio and part of the print range I can then sell at conventions, and um, and the, I retain the artwork as well because I mean you know all the work I do is commercial work, uh, which means that. Um, people pay for my skills for print everything goes into print so it could blu-ray cover a film poster yeah um nobody's commissioning me for a painting because you know you, you know if you want a painting go to an artist you know who, who does paintings it's as simple as that or a t-shirt uh, even i could give well, it again another yeah. go <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so uh, I, I um so in terms of commissions uh, until perhaps at the point where I, I retire, although I'm not planning to at all <laughs> right now, unless circumstances you know dictate otherwise. So, but uh, um, uh, all my work remains commercial or on a, with a commercial understanding as well. Though, yeah. so even though the private commissions are not licensed commissions, um, uh, you know there has to be you know very clear that there's no profit making going on. Um, then I can I can um, you know work on the posters, sell prints, and uh, um, and you know get to work on some fantastic films which I would never ever have had a buy tax originally at the time. Um, and actually, also it gives me a bit of a challenge as well when you're working on something which is so familiar to people, you know, something which is so precious to people's memory, like like the thing, for instance, like mm, yeah. you know. Everybody has their impression of what they think the film is and how it should be represented, and um, it's very hard to step into all those expectations and produce something which you know people will, will be able to buy into, if you like. And um, I mean, my when I worked on the private commission for the thing, for instance, I mean, I knew that um, you know you rarely see the flying saucer represented in. in no, you don't. So for me, that was going to be top of the list, flying saucer. <laughs> and then a second thing was everybody does the dog. I thought, no dog. There's no dog. <laughs> what a great way of putting it together. So, uh, so, that's, so everything in between then, you know, was, just happens, you know, around the flying saucer and the no dog thing. Of course, the dog is hinted at within the, you know, the sort of hybrid creature, alien creature. But um, um, so, you know, I, I like to try and... Uh, I like to, you know, feel that I can uh, fulfil people's expectations but at the same time, you know, do something slightly different. And uh, with um, the Halloween poster, you know, we, we the, you know, the client wanted obviously the, the key characters there, but um, for me, it was really important to get the little kid in there, the, the young uh, sort of uh, uh, Michael Myers, and um, really see him, you know, create a family portrait if you like, though, see how. You know that you have um it's like a almost like a mum and dad and older kid and the young kid um although it's you know it's a sort of perverse kind of family portrait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. also you know i was always interested in this um in the film the one thing you don't see which really intrigued me was and actually it's quite a sort of um <clears throat> transgressive thing is that you know michael myers you know takes the tombstone of his sister uh from her grave which is you know quite a shocking thing really and um, you don't see that happening, of course, though. Oh. You, just, you see the tombstone later. But, um, you know, I wanted just to imagine that moment where he's just pulled up the, ripped up the tombstone 
And um, so that's, that became the focal point for my poster. Excellent. So yeah, it's, it's all about playing around with, um, you know, what exists and actually uh, looking for new angles. No, brilliant. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it because uh, obviously during lockdown, we've been lucky enough to, to be exposed to your uh, Dawn of the Dead commission, obviously got a real soft spot for that. And your your Jaws commission, which is, is you know, would be one of my all-time favourite films. So to see that process and the conclusion of that artwork was was amazing and that got me thinking about about private commissions uh i had a bit of well i thought i had a bit of a grenade to pitch in uh, <laughs> and, I, and then i was doing a little bit of last minute yeah I was, then i was doing a little bit of last minute uh research this afternoon and i caught uh, a drawing blood documentary on youtube uh which you did uh it's written and produced by Kieran, somebody whose name I should know fully. Yeah, because uh, I watched it this afternoon, uh, and and in that you you know you go you go back through your career and how it's been kind of portioned between Palace and Tartan and Arrow, and there was a large chunk of time uh, where you worked maybe not solely but certainly a lot with Photoshop, and I didn't know that, I, I didn't realise you'd become quite proficient and use Photoshop. So my question was Photoshop. Good or bad, and I think you'd be like, ah, oh, Photoshop, it's good. It's good. Oh, Photoshop is evil. But now I think you're going to like it. I had to do. I, I've there are two posters, which um, you know, sort of quite key posters, which I did at uh, uh, um, Dust Till Dawn, and uh, House of Thousand Corpses. Both of those are Photoshop jobs, simply because people didn't want to use illustration. Simply right. so for you know, almost ten years, I was doing. I don't think I did one illustrated poster. I might have done a couple of, um, I don't know if I did any Blu-ray Blu DVD, well, Blu-ray didn't exist then, DVD covers. Um, I don't know. I just literally, there was a, a period of time where I did very little um, painted work and uh, it was all Photoshop stuff. And most of my work was coming from Tartan Films and Tartan Video at that time, which you know, I'm very grateful for because that really filled the gap uh, when illustration fell out of favour before it came back into favour again and um you know it's extraordinary how that happened in many ways uh but um uh but yeah uh, you know i had no problem uh, adapting to that um uh you know photoshop is actually it can take as long if you're doing a complex job uh as, as an illustration uh and actually quite often i think longer um uh but uh it's it's in many ways easier you know and it actually doesn't make any mess you know no, I, no, I guess not no. mess everywhere uh, with paint I, i'm constantly wiping paint off the computer screen but um you know you don't do that with photoshop uh so you know there, there are good advantages and you know I, I everything i do gets scanned into photoshop for delivery anyway though so yeah. photoshop is very much my friend and um uh you know i can make slight colour adjustments if I need to and in, in drastic situations where a client really does change their mind or there's some issue something has to change a small area then that's easily done you do a patch and you just whack it in in Photoshop and it's 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 all done and sorted so I've no problem with Photoshop at all. Brilliant. Okay sort of self-taught I guess because you've probably come through all the college and all the training long before or yeah, before. yeah i mean literally um you know when i say art college that's from 1976 to 1980 uh there was no desktop computer no. 
computers were things you saw in science fiction films, real, <laughs> yeah. real to real machines and lots of flashlights everywhere. Like war games, a big room it's full of stuff. stuff. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Um, so that one little period of time that happened so rapidly, it really did matter of months, I think, uh, where we all had to suddenly drop paste up the work and actually take up using what you had to use at the time, Quark Express. That was your one desktop publishing bit of software that everybody had to use if you're going to be seriously designing stuff uh, uh, for, for print. Um, so we, I think we, I do remember as a little studio collective, uh, we did uh, do a couple of courses uh, somewhere down on the South Bank. Um, we were a bit rubbish at it, and um, but you know it's it's adapt or die in a way, and you you you, you learn rapidly. Um, all these things are quite you know intuitive anyway. You, you, they, they, everything looks daunting, and it's not. No. You know, it's uh, everything is designed to be intuitive. Um, you just have to be a bit brave sometimes. Just you know, plow in there. Uh, I mean, I, 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 all my grounding for everything I do now comes from art college probably and those first few years uh freelancing a sort of baptism of fire in many ways you know by all your mistakes but you know i had a good grounding in graphic design uh all the basics of typography um uh, the sort of concepts behind design you know why you lay things out in particular ways what you're what you're communicating how you communicate all that stuff i learned before i even touched a computer so all that knowledge is not anything that a computer can give you. Um, so there's a, a, a major grounding there before I even entered into that sort of a desktop publishing kind of era. Uh, and, you know, I'm very grateful for all of that, though, because I don't think you would have that now. I think, um, you know, a computer does stuff for you in a way that, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> honestly, the, the, if you could see the process of putting a post together, without a computer <laughs> it's, just, yeah. uh, it's, it's medieval it really is though and well, uh, the, the the introduction of hung jaw and execute it gives some really good insights in into that and i'll touch on that towards the end i'm going to start wrapping it up because you've been so it's kind of giving us so much time you know, <laughs> I, don't uh, <laughs> uh, I want to save some stuff for another podcast which i'll, I'll perhaps perhaps touch on uh so obviously 2020 has been a been a washout with live events and conventions and, and shows, which has been a real shame. Uh, keeping our fingers crossed for 2021. Uh, is there anywhere we can expect to see you in 2021? Any exciting projects you can talk about coming up in the future? Anything you can give us little flavours of? Well, um, uh, as you know, all the commercial work is confidential. Yes, uh, of course. And that's simply, you know, a sort of professional agreement you have with the client um, for, for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, Convention-wise, I can say straight away that um, I would do any convention because I'm a complete whore. I would do it. <laughs> convention. I was like, yes, of course I will. Play. So any, anything that starts happening, I'll, I'll be there anyway. So, and yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed, maybe the Sheffield Horicon will happen in May. We don't know yet still. Yeah. I think we're all hoping that a vaccine will actually make things you know, move along very, very swiftly. Um, but um, uh, until that point, one thing the lockdown has uh, done is, is given me a lot more focus with the work. Uh, I've been working from home um, since March, uh, since the day after the William Shatner um, Apollo. Oh, of course. I'm really going to go to that as well. I was Because so, Wrath of Khan is my favourite Star Trek. I was so... Um, it's very uh, silly. 
I can tell you that much. It's very, very silly. But yeah, so it has focused my work. Um, and I think I've done, you know, I think I've, I've done some of my best pieces, I'd say. I wouldn't say they're my favourite pieces or anything, but, you know, I do, I do think they're more accomplished than a lot of stuff I've done maybe in the last, you know, uh, or the year before, for instance. So, but um, uh, that's hopefully continuing. There have been probably a few more private commissions um, that have happened because of the lockdown. Uh, I do have a list of things um, uh, which I'm not going to get around to for quite a few months, but um, and there's no deadline on those. But the next private commission for the um, the guy I did Jules for and Dawn of the Dead for will be Night of the Living Dead. So I can't talk about that because it's not a commercial job. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so And then we're doing Child's Play after that. Oh, great. So those are guaranteed. I'm looking forward I to have, those. Uh, a couple of Hammer horror-related projects um, coming up. I won't tell you what those are because I can't. But um, but it's it's time for me to go back to the roots of the stuff I really love and um, hopefully, you know, um, uh, bring some of that flavour to people who have don't probably know Hammer. Um, I, it's hard to imagine, but there are people that don't really know Hammer Horror. It's I don't know enough as I should. But, uh, no, but, no, you know, no. It's my duty to make sure they do. I, I think you do, and I totally agree. And I think I've got to be one of those people because I don't have the knowledge or the appreciation I think I should. Uh, I'm going to say I'm too young, which is a poor excuse. I know it's a very poor excuse. Oh, really, because I was too young, really. I mean, um, you know, the, the films were in their very final days, really, when I, I started my appreciation of horror. So I mentioned Dracula AD 72. Well, I was 12 years old then. I mm. couldn't have gone into the cinema to see it. Um, but I was aware of it. Scarlet yeah. Dracula was aware of it, but I couldn't go and see it. So I think the final gothic, you know, horror was, um, was not, uh, I think, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. And, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't have gone into seeing that. So I, I missed all that Hammer stuff uh, at the cinema. But, you know, I came to it on VHS. Of course, yeah. And um, on TV as well, of course. Uh, and um, it's just weird that I, I did actually grow up living through the period when those films were being made. Well, certainly, you know, I was born in 1960, so uh, I, I do remember probably when I'm about seven years old, uh, looking at the newspapers my dad would get, and they're always London-based newspapers. Um, I don't know what you had, whether it was a Telegraph or something like that, but um, um, something I'd spit out now, of course. Like, but uh, uh, they had all the ads for the cinemas, uh, all the cinema listings at the back. And um, literally, I used to pour over those because I love them because it was just full of these lurid titles. Virtually every Hammer film seemed to be in circulation around and around again, double build, triple build, and just all these titles. I mean, films I could never see, didn't know anything about them, but the titles were so fantastic. Though. Yeah. Uh, and um, I just think, God, I want to see all of these now. <laughs> yes. But then I did, and it's okay now. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Brilliant. You know I'm, I'm going to make a commitment to... Uh, to uh try and try and get some hammer I'm, under my belt i think i need to do that because i'm i'm, I'm probably missing out there and, and that's something i i need to work with uh, well, so you, that. No, i always say they are artifacts of their time they're obviously completely dated but that's not a problem because uh if you if you look at the period of time in which they were made they are genuinely transgressive and i think that um you know they, they moved along with the times as best they could um and uh, and, and experimented and um 
you know, it, it's, and you can tell by the reviews that were made at the time how offensive they could be to people. So, um, the, those first couple of hammers, mm-hmm. you know, because of Frankenstein, um, yeah, Horror Dracula were, were reviled uh, by the press, and um, you know, um, of course, they were very successful uh, because the press made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. This is this is always something. This, this is something negative press, is there? I know. Uh, this is something that occurred. You know, while I was growing up, we you know we alluded earlier to the Charles Pay movies, which you know, not to take anything away from the actual real life uh, occurrences that film was attributed to, uh, but there's been all sorts of others. You know, Rambo has been blamed for things and. You know, there's been various instances where the press have jumped on. Uh, I remember I uh, I just had to go and see see uh, Pulp Fiction, and, and it was mainly driven. I mean, it was it was partly driven by the fact that I'd managed to get hold of a bootleg Reservoir Dogs while it while in uh, while in college, and and this was obviously the next movie, so you had to you know go and see it. But I think it was also partly driven by the fact the Daily Mail said you mustn't see this film, which of course meant to me I must go and see it. I have to, you know, yeah. to go and see. It. And I wasn't eighteen, and I didn't look eighteen, and I nervously went up to the teller to buy a ticket. And obviously, whether it was just a general uh, perception that time, or whether it was specific to that moment, I don't know. But the fact I didn't look anywhere near eighteen didn't seem to matter. So I got a ticket and just watched in awe for two and a half hours at this great cinematic masterpiece which isn't horror but it's, it's still you know it has ordered horrific elements though yeah it does have horrific elements you're you're certainly right i mean just you know I mean, i'm not even going to talk because we'll be here for another hour if i start talking about <laughs> pulp fiction let's, let's not another let's conversation not go there. yes you know another conversation so I, I, i'm gonna wrap it up with one or two last things uh firstly i know you've got a lot of good stuff out there uh, i know myself i i've got a great copy of hung drawn and executed which you've been I was fortunate enough to get signed by you uh, and there's there's other books and, and artworks out there so where where can people get get in touch with you get get you know have get their hands on your artwork get your get their hands on your prints your books where's where's the best place to to start heading off and getting all that good uh, stuff? well i go straight to the website of course which is um gwenhumphreys.com we'll put a link to that below yeah. this video and if you want to buy the book there are still copies left and um, the, the copies are now at the uh, lower end of availability because i think there were 4000 copies i think it's about 400 300 left now though mm-hmm. uh, so i would say the cheapest place and the best place for me and the publisher is directly from the publisher mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, we'll, we'll do the link properly but it's uh, careropress.com we'll get a link below uh, there as well be down below yep down below yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know. yeah yeah as far as um you know i mean I, I i enjoy selling prints at conventions it's you know a little bit of a it's what i do and um um in the absence of that i mean if people email me uh and they can find the email address on the website then i can send prints to people and i've been doing that actually since lockdown when people got more time on their hands and perhaps furloughed they're not we ha- we can't go anywhere spend on money so why not spend it on my prints why not buy a piece of gray mar humphrey's artwork i, I couldn't understand why you wouldn't to be quite yeah. honest and, that, and but, i have i've, I've, I've bought yeah, all of the since, dead print annual jaws print they're both definitely. amazing thank you but um since last july which was the i think the very last moment when i could actually put anything into the book before it went off to be designed and published 
Um, there's also been a huge body of work since then. And I think with, you know, within the next year, I'll be ready to do another volume, um, which will have a different title. I'm thinking coffin table book at the moment. Brilliant. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. A little Outlaws exclusive there. Coffin table <laughs> book, maybe. But I know I love that. That's great. Good. Um, so, yeah, uh, there, there, there is a lot of work. And I've, I've got, you know, work oozing at the moment. Though It's just um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm finding it hard to catch up at the moment uh which is you know it's great because i never know yeah. i never know when it's gonna you know people get sick of the sight of my stuff so <laughs> yeah, i have to keep saying yes to everything uh you know who knows the thing is i i think that um um uh, you know more of a generation there are people of my generation who still love the films that i love and um will want to see versions of things that i will do um still so i i think that um you know the, the dvd stuff well i was at a, a, a um uh, a sort of an event if you call it that um a couple of weekends ago we had a, a small screening you know club um it's run by merlin um or you may may know merlin he i know merlin from yes he's a little pub and um we worldwide just, weird yes thank you very much socially plugging for that worldwide weird yeah, yeah socially distant screening of Lisa and the Devil. And uh, we had a, a lovely guest there, um, uh, um, Eugenio, who's written a, a fantastic book, which uh, I will send you a link for. Uh, it's really um, exploring the Italian um, response to The Exorcist in its own horror films. Oh, wow. Uh, of the 350 or so terrible copies of The Exorcist, which <laughs> happened in Italy. And it's an aftermath, right, which is fascinating stuff. Uh, but anyway, he, he, within the discussion afterwards, though, he was talking about cinema, um, how it's presented, um, formats. And um, I think, like me, he feels that um, there's still room for the physical format release, that, um, you know, it, it's down to collectors, ultimately, though, because collectors do what they says on a tin they collect and actually physical item is something you put on your shelf and you collect it like you collect books and actually special editions you know more expensive editions um i think will be the norm because you know you, you, your average punter is going to stream stuff they're not going to be wanting to look the shelves with you know um yet more versions of the same film um you know they you know there are other things they can put on the shelves for goodness sake but uh um, but yeah, for somebody like myself, because I am first and foremost a fanboy, and I buy stuff all the time. I can't, you know, just can't stop it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm terrible as well. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I uh, when I go, you know, swimming in town, for instance, I have to go past FOP, and it's such a dangerous thing. Luckily, there is a FOP still in existence there, and it just—it's a magnet. I have to go in. I have to go in and have a look. So, usually, come out with something. So, yeah, um, physical media is something I still buy myself. And I know a lot of other people do, and I think collectors' sets, yes, um, however they are, and I think I think people have to be a bit more genius about the way they present stuff, of course. But I think there's still that market, and I think that will continue for some time. Um, and you know, I think you just have to be generous with what you give with those projects as well, though. Um, oh, I understand. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I 
succumbed because I was going through Hungjorn executed. I'm going to quickly run through some some highlights of Hungjorn and executed. But I uh, I bought a pictorial history of horror movies by Dennis Gifford. By Dennis Gifford because you give that a good a good sounding in your book and that's a thing for everybody. It's it's amazing. I, I don't know if you saw the Mark Gatiss um, history of horror uh, that he did. Um, and he, you know he, he he that's one of the first things he remembers. Uh, that brought him into the world of horror as well. I, and I, I literally is responsible for so many people like myself. Though. And and I was embarrassingly naive about its existence, and I tentatively typed it in to Google, expecting it to be out of print or extortionately expensive. Uh, but it was on a let's just say a very very large retailer's website for was it was twelve pounds for the hardback. Yeah. And yeah. I thought I'd be mad not to get it. I mean, for you know, what you know, can you? So that was ordered this uh, this this well, afternoon. That cover. I mean, it was the cover that sold it for yeah. everybody. And that's, of course, that was a, a Tom Chantrell cover. Tom Chantrell did a lot of Hammer posters, and he did a lot of Carry On posters as well. Oh wow! Oh awesome! But, yeah, Tom Chantrell. You look at his work. He, he you know, you will recognise most of the posters he's ever done. He did the famous uk quad for star wars for instance oh, though cool. it's yeah. one of the most expensive posters you can buy now yes definitely of course tom is no longer with us um same with vic fair who um whose work everybody will know uh, um you know man who fell to earth i mean honestly look at vic fair's work it's uh, he did a lot of hammer stuff as well uh countess dracula um uh vampire circus i mean it, yeah these, these guys all did all worked on hammer films and uh, carry on films, all the stuff that was you know churned out in the sixties and seventies. So, um, uh, so it's it's um it's it's interesting. Tom did that cover, uh, and you can see he's even cut out and pasted in bits of his other posters, where obviously there was no time, no money, or whatever. So there's a little bit of Racker Welsh, I think, is stuck in there. Literally, you can see the cut out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's King Kong, maybe, or something else, is stuck on the back as well, though. But um, I mean, that in itself is for me as an illustrator quite interesting to see um but uh you know for me uh that book was the inspiration to do the illustration work that i do and um to me i'd always wanted to get to the point where i could deliver something uh which kind of had that feel uh and i think hopefully i might have just achieved that with um uh an, a new book for um we belong dead um, which is the follow-up book to Century of Horror. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I've gone with those kind of colour themes, you know, the, the, the green, the big sort of central head in the middle, which is uh, Frederick March's Dr. Jekyll, uh, uh, Mr. Hyde, rather. And um, I've tried to kind of give it that feel, and hopefully I've kind of achieved achieved it to, to an extent anyway, though. I mean, for me, that, that's really... It's taken um, uh, probably what... Um, 50 years to get to that point <laughs> yeah. you know, I, 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 i'm not, not in a hurry and uh, i think things you know should happen carefully and you know yeah. uh, in time so i'm not, not rushing at anything at all though uh, well I'm, I'm gonna try to finish this off with la two last things uh, i'm gonna fanboy out maybe on both of them first i'm just gonna run through i've, I've obviously did did quite a lot of looking through hung jaw and executed which i wanted to do anyway and i've been trying to promise myself to get round to it and i finally managed to partly research for this podcast but partly because i really wanted to uh and i picked out some pieces that i liked uh, and this isn't a reflection on any of the other pieces this is just me thinking what i liked uh 
the ghost stories blu-ray promotion poster i really liked uh the fright fest poster from 2018 i thought was quite exceptional uh obviously evil dead i mean we we will not talk about that when you come back on this podcast which is something i'm going to bring up next uh, but evil dead obviously is, is, is something that was great i liked your blood drive poster i thought that was amazing i've never seen the show i need to try to get around to seeing the show but i thought that was an it's just an epic sprawl that was that was amazing uh wendigo for the compendium book i really liked uh your american werewolf in london private commission i thought was was brilliant all the holocom posters amazing of, of course, uh, the thing which we briefly talked about, and that was great to get that insight how you steered away from the typical elements. That was really good. Uh, the inbred film poster from 2012, I also really liked. And and personally, and and I own this uh, a, a print of it uh, was uh, the what we do in the shadows, which I thought was really good. I love that film. Uh, I love the way you've given each vampire its own particular color, its own character. That 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 was a really great. Great piece of work, and then that stands as, as to me, one of the greatest films that I that that I certainly like. Uh, so that's all that was. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it in because we've been you've been so great, giving us so much of your time, but we've barely even scratched the surface of your forty year career. I'm going to ask in the new year, will you come back and we'll talk about a lot more horror? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. We will we will certainly talk about a lot more. We. Won't mention Evil Dead or uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I'll deliberately keep those off off the tangent, but I'm so looking forward to having another discussion because I think there's there's so much that we can that we can speak about and you, your I, work I, and your insights. This thing though, I did a little um, written interview recently for a magazine, and um, we, we were talking about the um, relationship um, between punk rock and horror, and I do remember one of the first. Um, LPs I bought was uh, Rattus Norvegicus Stranglers, very first. Oh, LP. awesome! If you look at that LP cover, looking at it now, I suddenly realised, God, that that could have been the poster for what we do in the shadows. If you have a look at that LP cover, <laughs> it could literally be what we do in the shadows. So anyway, I'll leave yeah. that. <laughs> no, th that will definitely be for next conversation. So I'm going to bring this to a close. Great, it's been amazing speaking to you. So thank you for your time. It's uh, been a pleasure. We'll definitely get you back on the podcast. We'll we'll let you have a winter and a and a bit of a Christmas. Hopefully, we'll all get the Christmas out of. Yeah, I hate Christmas though. Twenty twenty. I hate Christmas too, but I, I don't like I to say that because you <laughs> tend to get looked at funny. But I, I'm not a big fan of Christmas either. So, but we'll let you have a bit of a break. But we'll definitely get you back in the new year. We'll talk more Hammer. We'll talk more conventions. I'm definitely going to talk about Weekend of the Dead because I've got a personal connection with that uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the uh, Joan Crawford story about the, <laughs> yes definitely well we'll definitely well that's that's going to be our hanger we'll look forward to the to the Joan <laughs> Crawford story so uh guys hope you've enjoyed this podcast I've certainly enjoyed it Graham's been a great guest and a wonderful sport uh, and with that I'm going to sign off this is Outlaw Collins signing off please do hit those subscribe buttons those notification buttons uh, comment below as well, please. This is what keeps us going. This is what keeps the uh, flow going. If you know, if we know there are fans out there listening, and then we can get more content going, and you know, hopefully we'll we'll be able to get you some more great stuff. Uh, but other than that, I shall uh, sign out and see you guys later. Have a good live evening. Live long and prosper. <laughs> live, live, yes, live long and prosper.